0: The Midwife Crisis podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care and may not be suitable for all
1: listeners. Hello, I'm PR and I'm very happy to be back. I wanted to dive in with something clever, but I don't have anything except I'm just so happy to be here.
0: It's me, Kate, and this is the Midwife Crisis because it's not just you. And I am definitely in a crisis PR because I've been missing you and I've been missing this and the world is
1: bananas and uh, COVID stinks. COVID does stink, and we've been gone a long time, for a few months now, and the reason for that, as you all already know, is because we are still in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how the pandemic has affected us, our patients, and midwifery care across the nation. Um, It really
0: has. I mean, I... I think of every day, every, you know, bit of news, everything we see everywhere is all about this virus, right? It's really, it's truly taken over um, every aspect of our lives. And I, I don't know, I, I, we've both been really affected. So you want to tell us about, about how you've been affected?
1: Yeah, it has changed our normal, really. It's not, you, you... Our normal, well, we're it's a different normal, and we're not going back to the old normal. In some ways, that's good. In some ways, it's um, you know, it's it's sad. But yeah. anyways, yeah. So let me catch you up on my super exciting COVID existence. Because of um, back in March, because of ongoing health issues, remember I'm the elderly podcast mate. Um, <laughs> I was initially taken out of the workplace for about a month, then. I, you know, I said, please, I want to work. I want to be in the workplace. So I was placed into, in the pharmacy, which was supposed to be a safe space because of the lack of patient contact. And, and you know, my health issues made me vulnerable if I was, I was in that population. The only problem was that in the pharmacy, we can't socially distance ourselves. We work kind of shoulder to shoulder. And several of the staff there became ill with the coronavirus. And so I decided that probably wasn't the safest space for me to be in, <laughs> and I better get out of there. So I returned to my home base um, back on OB triage and labor and birth. And I was really happy to do that because I missed taking care of the patients. And I felt like um, people really need someone who understands what they're going through. You know, women, pregnant women, fall into that category of folks who are at risk and so and I fall into that category and I felt like you know it's 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 it works out better for you when someone's caring for you who knows what you're going through. And so I put on my N95 mask, and then I put the surgical mask on top of it, and I put my hat on my head. And when I swab for COVID, then I put a shield on top of all that. And then I put a gown on and my gloves on. And did I mention that as hot as F when I get that whole get up on, I'm sweating like a little piggy. <laughs> And and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter because with all of that, I'm so glad to be back with my queens. And I go tell them, you know, I'm going to swab you. I'm going to examine you. I'm going to do this and that and the third thing. And um, and even though I'm sweating, I just say it all with a smile and that you're. I try to reassure them that they're going to be fine. And I could just weep almost every day that I'm there because I'm just happy to be there. And um, you know, with all of that comes a bunch of other stuff though, but I'm just really happy to be back where I, you know, taking care of my Queens. Oh. And so hey, tell us about your COVID adventures.
0: Yeah. So it's weird looking back on it. Um, You know, because all of this sort of started, of course, we know it started a long time ago. um, But I think our sort of uh, recognition of it and how it started to impact us here in the United States happens sort of towards the end of February. And so in February, I had had a beautiful self-care moment um, where I took my um, sweet babies to Florida to see um, their grandparents. And, you know, Florida, as we know, as of the time of this recording is like a COVID palooza down there. It's like horrible. But back in February, I was really worried about the flu because I had, I recovered from the flu. I I haven't had the flu, I think ever. Um, And I got it from a patient that I'd seen in the office, who was very ill, and literally 24 hours later, I came down with it. Um, and so I was so nervous of my kids and myself getting sick with the flu that on the flight, I'm like wiping everything down, and you know, I've got my like Lysol spray, and I'm like making them Purell and all this stuff. And and you know, come to find out, we got home, and I think not a week later, it it became sort of knowledge that the COVID virus was here. It wasn't just overseas. It wasn't just in China. You know, it was, it was here. And uh, I'm thankful for that because we had traveled and, you know, I'm glad that I had taken all those precautions. But anyway, um, with it was so much uncertainty. And so, especially uh, at my place of work, you know, they did a great job at sort of, all right, from the get go, making sure that we all started changing our practice. And so, in the everyday, um, you know, we immediately started wearing gloves with every exam, no matter when we touched patients and masks in the office. Um, as everyone knows um, for a while, or if it, you may not know, but in healthcare for a while, it was very hard to get um, N95s or respirator masks. And so, you know, we had a little committee at our work trying to get those. Um, and almost from the get go, my practice had decided because I work for a practice of doctors and midwives that since the doctors sort of needed to be there anyway in case of emergency in case of cesarean birth that kind of thing um, that in order to limit exposure to this virus um, you know that they would have the midwives not take call and it was very strange and there was a few months I guess it was about two months where I think I only came in for call a handful of times Um, and the rest of the time you know i was just taking calls from home triaging calls from home still seeing patients in the office but uh it, it was just a completely different world you know um I, we did a lot of telemedicine at my job so as you can imagine telemedicine uh with gyn and with uh, even ob is a little tricky because the things that we do at those visits where we're you know measuring fundal heights and listening to baby's heartbeats we really couldn't do and the things that we worry about you know things like uh checking blood pressures checking urine for um proteins and weight gain and all those sort of things it weren't necessarily being done some people did have home blood pressure cuffs some people we could you know get that for them i had patients who i would call and they'd say oh i have a doppler and they would they would listen to the baby's heartbeat for me and that kind of thing. Um, But it just became really different. And to add on top of that, anyone here um, listening who has small children knows one of the biggest things that had a huge impact on all of this was that schools were closed. And so balancing all of this, being a midwife, you know, we talk about it all the time, trying to have a work-life balance, um, it would. There was. There was no line. There is no line anymore because my kids were home. I was working from home. My partner was working from home. We're trying to teach. You know, I'm trying to assess someone's nipples for mastitis on my phone. You know, with a video while my like four year old is screaming in the background because his brother's not doing X, Y, and Z. I mean, it was like a circus. I can't tell you how many times I would have to say, "I'm so sorry." Hold on, just a minute, and put my phone down and go yell at my kids or whatever. And um, it's it's been really, it's been different. Um, So yeah. And I feel personally that I come from a place of enormous privilege in that I still got to work. Um, You know, I still had the ability to do my job, as did my partner, and that that we could have our kids home and that we had Internet access and we had all these things that allowed us to um, sort of continue on. Um, And even with that, it it was still challenging. So so that was that many practices. Also, you know, we had an ACNM, which is uh, the American. uh, What is ACNM?
1: My, my brain's not working. College of nurse midwives. Oh, that's God. Crazy. Okay. But yes. You, you the, health um, nurse practitioners. Are you talking about that? Or are you talking about ACNM?
0: I was talking about ACNM. Yeah, that's what, that's what it midwives. is. American midwives. College of Nurse Midwives. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. My brain just literally went to spaghetti. Um, so the ACNM sent out uh, surveys to see how COVID has been impacting uh, midwives and what i've seen and, and what we have actually been experiencing in our community too is that many midwives um are getting furloughed or getting let go or getting laid off or you know they oops those jobs are sort of going away because there's not as much uh gyn in the office or it's limited gyn less procedures you know so a lot of these practices who who you know the joke's always been you know, people are always going to have babies, like the business of having babies, the business of being born is always going to be there. But all of a sudden, you know, it put a lot of these practices that depended on other types of income and other types of care um, in a really difficult situation. So many people lost their jobs, um, you know, or were forced to stay home some people aged out you know i know a lot of midwives in the community that were over 65 and couldn't work because of the higher risk of contracting covid um yeah so so that was really really difficult do you want to talk a little bit about just the other parts pr i'm talking a lot
1: uh, oh no that i mean it's fine um and you no, know, you're, you're doing fine. You can Okay.
0: Listen guys, it's, it's been a long time. So we're just like, it's almost like we're on like a first date again. We're like, no, you go. And, it
1: is. and we have to get our groove. We haven't, we haven't gotten quite in our groove and the other issue is that we, I don't see you. So you're in your home. I'm in my home and we're trying to put this thing together because we really missed, um, you know, communicating with our audience and stuff. But, it, we have to, you know, kind of figure it out and get get our dance together.
0: We're, we're working out the kinks. Our I dance. mean, yes. that's right. Um, yes. And I am actually in my bed and it is a, a very weird thing. So, mm-hmm. so if I sound super relaxed, you know, that's why. Uh, so anyway, back to the impact on midwives. Uh, as midwives, those of us who still got to work and sort of had this privilege also had this Strange balance of we're essential personnel. We are frontline workers. We have people who are getting sick. We are being exposed, and so at the same time, you're also super concerned for your own health care, for the health care of your family, for who you could impact. You know, is there a PPE shortage? Do you need to be hoarding masks? You know, what what do we have to reuse? What do we not reuse? Uh, am I going to expose my family? I mean, I went through. Um, Well, I I will just say personally, because we do talk about mental health a lot. I have not been well over the past four months. It's been so challenging for me. My anxiety has been worse than it's ever been. Um, You know, coping skills are minimized for sure. Just I'm exhausted. We all are. Um, And that has been really, really stressful. And we had to come up with practical solutions. You know, you probably have seen that so many people have, you know, separated themselves completely from their families. You know, I talked a lot with my partner about what we were going to do. And and what we did was basically isolate ourselves, um, which meant no grandparents, no friends, no, you know, my sister lives down the road, no visiting, just because we needed to keep us sort of isolated because of the risk of getting someone sick. And then we had a whole decontamination protocol, you know, where I'd strip naked in the garage and, you know, run through my house and anything I touched, you know, uh, my husband would follow me around with a Clorox wipe, (laughs) like wiping everything down. And, you know, it's so hard. I'd come home from work and my kids would be like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And they want to be picked up and they want to hang out with me. And I just had to be like, no, you know, don't touch me. I got to go get in the shower. Um, You know, and I went from someone who is like a little crunchy, like I'd shower, like, you know, if I was sweaty or like when I had to, to here I am showering like twice, three times a day. Um, It's, it's a lot. And additionally, and PR can speak to this too. Now, I mean, we're so thankful that we have access to testing, but they're also asking us to COVID swab. So we're ourselves getting COVID swabbed frequently, having to swab ourselves. Um, it's it, it's a lot. It's, it's been a really significant impact. So sometimes we forget, I think we're a specialty of healthcare. And so I think a lot of times we sort of separate ourselves from other larger issues, but the whole intersection of healthcare does stem around maternal, you know, and women's and people with uteruses care and health. I mean, they're the core of the family. They're making the family. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much involved. So,
1: yeah, and this is a, you know, this, this is an interesting kind of situation for us because it usually, it has, you know, our, our, Busyness has to do with caring for the patient and what we're going to do to care for the patient. But at the same time, we had to worry about caring for our families and for ourselves and protecting ourselves. And so there was a lot of um, juggling going on, trying to keep everything, everyone straight and um, protected. And, and then never mind, in your case, my children are adults, but you trying to get your kids educated and If I had to add that layer on top of the cake, that would just be not so awesome. Um, And, you know, OB doesn't stop because of a pandemic. So you just sort of alter. You get creative with the kind of care you're providing. Um, You space out your office visits, you make them less frequent. You know, you go to do a lot of phone contact. um, Yeah, you, you know, and then if you're scared, everyone's scared to a, a, acquiring this virus. So when you say something like, oh, you have to go to the lab for a three hour test, that means sit in the laboratory and just for three hours and be exposed to people coming in and out. That's very right. stressful. That's stressful. Yeah. And then your partners are not allowed to come with you to these appointments. So you're sitting for three hours by yourself or you're going to for an ultrasound appointment by yourself or to a visit on those days when you do have to go for a visit by yourself. And so, you know, you you guys, you and the person, your partner, were in it together, like to co-parent and to give birth together and stuff. And yeah, not so much. And um, you know, in New York, they at one point they weren't even allowing birth partners, and so they had to limit birth support. Some of those folks were kind of uh, migrating to to our state um you know trying to investigate the the alternatives for that and um you know people right. who would hire doulas couldn't Have their doula come in and accompany them. So, did you want to add something, Kate? Well, I was
0: just going to say that was something we hadn't really experienced before. And so, as a community that's so close to New York, we had to actually come up with protocols. So, we had to say, you know, we can't allow a transfer from New York because of this extraordinary high risk unless, uh, you know, they were under 30 weeks, they had a registered address in, you know, Connecticut. And we had to put all these limitations on it. And additionally, for a while, they were saying if someone came from New York was, you know, in active labor, had never gotten care in New Haven, that we wouldn't allow uh, the partner to come because they would be at such a high risk. And so this was a really I mean, these are putting sort of like the fundamental rights and access to, you know, a certain type of birth sort of put to the side a little bit. And it, and it wasn't to be uh You know to be patriarchal and tell women what they could and couldn't do for their births or people what they could and couldn't do but it was this protection yes we need to provide care for you but also we need to provide care for these workers who need to be here um you know to continue on for a long time there was a thought that so many of us would likely contract the virus that there wouldn't be enough folks to uh care for all the pregnant people and so there were even talks about making these super like super laborist teams you know where people from all different community practices would come together and just care for all the pregnant patients uh, rather than have people have their providers just in case they had gotten sick so um yeah i just wanted to speak to that because i think it was so different so i hate the word because everyone's been using it but unprecedented
1: <laughs> yeah I, you know it it really affects if you have um sort of conjured in your mind uh, the kind of birth experience that you'd like to have this threw all of that out the window because there a, a lot of it like the you know the person giving birth could not really control and so that made some women want to switch to the home birth option and um that is certainly limited in, in our community anyway. And, um, and then, so, you, you know, if you decided that you wanted to have some anesthesia, if you're in a smaller hospital, if they're busy with the sick COVID patients, then you may have to kind of muscle through and not get your anesthesia. It was all kinds of sacrifices were being made by so many people. And um, just really quickly, when you do, when you come in and you're admitted in in OB to give birth, it, you get a COVID swab and you have to keep your mask on until you're, you know, you swab negative. And, you know, even when you're giving birth, everyone is covered from head to toe. It's like being in a hazmat. So that's how you're giving birth, this warm Um, process where you're welcoming your child into the world, and everyone, it it looks like, you know, um, it looks like a pandemic. That's what it looks like. And so, you know, that's all you can see is the eyes of your attendant. Uh, some folks would pull out their ID or pull out a picture and say, this is what I look like. And I still do that. Actually. I say, this is, this is what I look like. If you're wondering, because they can't really tell. And so uh, they just kind of giggle, but they're, they probably won't remember. And if they were COVID positive, then the recommendation is to separate mom and baby. And that's terrible. You know, after you've waited all these weeks to see your baby as in, 40 weeks. Um, right. that's a long time. And so it's almost a year. And so here now you can't, you still can't. And at this point, because we're learning every day, something new, we don't know what the concerns are for, um, you know, transmission to the baby. Does it cause preterm labor? Does it call birth? Does it cause, you know, any other kind of comorbidities or co illnesses? So, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. And the, some women need no support postpartum other than their partner or who they're co-parenting with. And other women really need, that's the culture they come from, they need their family. And this is not that kind of a party. It's like you don't have, you have less support postpartum because if these people are from all around the town, like your family, they've been exposed to things, then they you don't really want them exposing the baby to that stuff. So it's just really... Um, Because of your fear you're trying to protect the baby. So that makes your anxiety worse and you just don't know what you're doing and you're trying to get some help and some advice. It's really hard. And another thing that people don't really give um, a lot of thought about is that the domestic violence reports decreased during the pandemic and we're still in the pandemic. Um, but the intimate partner, the actual violence itself did not decrease, the reporting decreased because people are not, they're not reporting. They're not calling any authorities in or for help, or they're not reporting. They're just, it's just not happening. And the same thing is true for child um, abuse situations that children and they're at home all day, like where they would have been in school, kind of uh, getting a break from that kind of a situation that's not so good now they're in they're at home you know 24/7 and being exposed to perhaps an impatient parent who has some issues of their own emotional issues and so it's it's like a not good situation for everyone involved
0: yeah uh Definitely. Speaking to that, I think another thing is, too, that we do routine assessments when we see women, you know, in the office or when we see women even with their children. I mean, I've had times and I don't know if you have PR, too, but where I've had someone come in with their kids and and I am concerned about the children or the you know, the. The patient, and you know, we can't be making those assessments if we're not seeing them. Um, and that is a huge part of it. We know that we have this uh, this mandatory reporting. We have to report what we see, what we hear, what we assess. And if we don't have the opportunity to assess that, of course, you know, no. maybe no one is. Yeah.
1: yeah in the car and you're just you know they're getting smacked around but we wouldn't know because you can't bring your children to visit so um it's, it's really it's very hard and i would love for it to be over as soon as it could be over but it's really hard with this like new york was an epicenter and now everyone can see that it's turned around and it's you know a safer place just like you know our state connecticut is but um the the rest of the country is just soaring in hot spots. And so um, I don't, folks, they somehow think that it's an invasion of their right, or a violation, I'm sorry, of their rights to have to wear a mask and to have to do the things um, to try to protect their fellow human. And uh, I think we're gonna be stuck with this for quite a while because until everyone gets on the same page, and, I, and, you know, some lessons are learned with, you know, a hard head makes a soft butt, my family used to say, because um, they, they, you know, they're just going to keep doing the wrong thing until someone close to them is ill and has a problem. And then kind of like Boris Johnson, I think that's his name, the prime minister of Great Britain, who said it was just yep. a little flu until he got sick and then he got serious. So... It, it might have to be the same situation. It's really unfortunate. Um, yeah,
0: there's a little uh, meme that I'm gonna throw up on our Instagram uh, that I'm sure many people have seen. But I think this is rings so true, and this actually goes into our next topic as we talk to about gyn concerns uh, during the COVID pandemic. But. Uh, it's basically a picture of a mask and a picture of a uterus. And it's like, how come, you know, the people who are saying it's my body, it's my right. I don't have to wear a mask are the same ones who want to control our bodies and our uteruses, you know, like, it's like, what? like, how can you not see the hypocrisy here? You know, if you don't want the government controlling your face, they shouldn't be in my body. So, Yeah, it's it's bananas. And also PR and I were talking about this earlier. And I just this rings so true to me is that this whole thing feels like, you know, when you do the group project, and you're like, I'm putting in all my time, I'm doing the stuff I got to do. I'm like suffering for the greater good. And then you know, like your friend is out like going to a party and thirsty Thursday and rolling in and just (laughs) reaping all the benefits. And you're like, what the hell, dude? Like, why am I doing this if you're not doing your part? So, yeah. Right.
1: For sure. Um, I, I just don't want to, you're going to talk about GYN really quickly. And I just, I, I don't want to forget this. I have to give a plug to um, the nurses, the midwives, the cleaning staff, the the kitchen staff. Um, both housekeeping, the, yes. both the work in the kitchen, all, because those are all, you know, heroes as well. If we want to talk about someone being a hero and they're kind of unsung, you know, people talk about, they, they look at nurses and doctors and midwives and, and you know, we kind of do get credit, but I feel like all those People that hold it down behind the scenes don't get as much credit. And I, I felt like I might forget that. So I'm just sticking it in there right now because yes. I, I do want to give a shout out to those folks because we can't, I mean, they, they have worked double time to super clean all these spaces we're working in and to serve food in a safe manner and to cook and serve food in a safe manner. Um, and so that all their lives have changed in the way in which they do their their you know standard operating procedures as well and so, yes
0: absolutely you. huge huge thank you I have felt the same way. People have been like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much for like your service." And I'm like, "Really? There are people who are doing a lot more in in a lot more challenging situations, and it is so true. I agree with you a million percent. The transporters, you know, yeah. the EMTs, the PCAs, like all the people who are going in and providing all this care. Yeah. Exactly what you said. House, you know, house staff people, you know, going in to fix technical problems, whatever. I mean, they right. are. Everyone is holding it together it is such a huge community and i am just so thankful for that and listen i'm going to get even more side notey but i just want to say that we still have not caught brianna taylor's killers and she was an essential worker and i am very irritated by that
1: amen amen she was an emt And um, a
0: a PCA wanted to go to nursing school. And if you have a sign in your yard that says, I, I support my essential workers and, you know, yay for essential workers. And you are not pissed off that a woman was murdered in her bed. Okay. Then you've got to look at who you care about. Do you care about white essential workers or do you just, you know, not really care? So sorry, that's a side note. And guess
1: what? That's coming in part two folks. Part two. <laughs> well, let's quickly talk about the GYN. Um, you know, you you did a little bit when you talk when you said you had to do like a breast exam on the phone. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. So GYN, unfortunately. Got the shove back, you know. So a lot of gyn, well woman, well person with uterus or vulva care um, was put to the wayside. And so we we've talked a lot about how for many uh, people who that we who we care for, their gyn exam is sometimes their only check in, their only health check in. Many of these people don't have primary care physicians, don't you know, routinely go see other people, and so when they come in to see us this is their only assessment. This is their only check in. And so for a lot of people in that situation, this was really significant, you know, to get their exams, to get their annual visits postponed, you know, pushed to the side. For a lot of people, you know, maybe they need reassessment of their medications. Maybe they're being managed for menopause and they're having worsening symptoms. Um, You know, maybe their cycles are messed up and they don't even realize it because there's no one having this conversation with them. Um, So I think that that was a huge issue and something uh, that many people have been going through. I, I even, you know, I'll, I'll go to the hospital and we have co-workers that are my patients who are like, hey, uh, can I come in for my visit yet? Yeah, I was supposed to come in in March, you know, and, and so everyone had to sort of do that. Additionally, there was this Total stop pretty much on what they call quote unquote elective procedures. Now, when you hear elective, or at least when I hear elective, I think like um, a breast augmentation, you know, but by elective procedures, they were. Calling pretty much anything that wasn't urgent or emergent. So um, things like if women had a miscarriage and needed to be managed, they were encouraging us to manage it medically, meaning at home, you know, with mifepristone and Um, Or if they uh, maybe wanted a termination, you know, there was this there was talks all over the world, we already have so many constraints on having a termination. And all of a sudden, there's more hoops to jump through, you know, where we have to sort of fight with, you know, scheduling and fight with surgical to get that person in because they were trying to really, um, of course, sort of protect the ventilators that are needed for procedures and the ORs and the, you know, positive pressure rooms and and the anesthesia and on all of that. So these essential things for women and and, you know, people with uteruses were being postponed or being made even more challenging. So that That has been uh, crazy. Other things that are considered, quote unquote, scheduled cases. So things like hysterectomy, you know, you might be someone who's had horrible, heavy menstrual cycles and is riddled with fibroids. And, you know, you're now being told, let's just kind of keep you alive until we can do your surgery. And and that's 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 tough. That's awful. And and there's not a whole lot of things like that that I see um, in all genders. I think women have sort of unique needs that definitely were not being met. Um, We were, oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so we did talk a little bit about doing telemedicine. So I we did give the option to as many patients as were willing to do uh, telemedicine, which is basically like FaceTime with your provider if you haven't done that. And that was actually really lovely in some ways because there were some patients that, you know, I could at least speak to. We could at least address issues. And I could make note and say, the moment I can see you back in the office, you know, these are the things we're going to address. And yeah, again, making sure that their prescriptions were refilled and things like that. Um, but again, that's not always an accurate depiction because someone might be like, yeah, I'm doing great on my birth control. Um, and I refill that birth control. And then they come in the office and their blood pressure is 160 over 100. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not well on your birth control. You're gonna have a blood clot. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so that was a definite, that was a definite you know, potential issue. Um, things like mammograms things like PAPs screening examinations all were being postponed so of course that is going to decrease the um the access that women have to these you know cancer screenings and and well screenings
1: and and increase their anxiety because if you are in need of a hysterectomy or you are in need of a a surgical procedure on your cervix because you have some precancerous or cancerous changes that kind of stuff or a mammogram that you're concerned about that you you know you are nervous and you want to get it you had to sit with that right so yeah that was difficult
0: yeah, we were being asked now, and we still are being asked when we order mammograms and things like that. Is it okay if we postpone this thirty days, sixty days, ninety days? And for a lot of patients, it's not okay, especially if they've had abnormal screenings in the past, exactly what you said. it's it's very anxiety producing to tell someone we know that your monitoring is important, but you might be trumped by someone else. I mean, it's a it's a it's a hard conversation to have, and it's a hard pill to swallow for anyone.
1: Okay, don't go prompt. Okay. Anyways. All right. Well, all right. You can... (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, but not really. Okay. Um. <laughs>
0: um, another thing is, you know, no children in the office. So here we are looking at, again, women and people with uteruses who tend to be more sort of in charge of, quote unquote, their family and their family's care, you know, are suddenly being told, yeah, we can see you in the office, but you can't bring your kids. You know, I have so many people who that's, that's what they would do because they don't have any access to child care or they don't have help. And so now they're also unable to come into the office because they can't bring their kids with them. Um, and that's, again, disproportionately affecting, you know, black patients, patients of color, you know, p- patients with different socioeconomic statuses. Um, it's just furthering, you know, that gap. Um and finally, the fear of being in the office. You know, we I would have patients who were finally coming in and they would have like, you know, a shower cap on, some crazy, you know, respirator they got at Home Depot, the lunch lady plastic baggy gloves, like, you know, they've got their own Clorox wipes, they're wiping stuff down. I'm like, listen, I get it. You know, and we have to try to tell patients, I promise we're doing the best we can. We're doing triage from the car. We're, you know, making sure that we're screening every patient when they come in. So realistically... Probably, because we have a standard that we have to uphold in the office, this is probably safer than your target run. you know what I mean but but it doesn't take away the fact that it's really scary, and if you are not in it and even when you are in it it's it's still scary, it's that fear of the unknown um so, yeah, I mean, I think all of that was just really affecting our g y n population
1: um we're gonna we're going to discuss pre-pandemic realities for for black and indigenous people of color in more depth in the next episode but um i right now i want to talk about some of the realness relating to covid um yeah you know these stats change daily but it, it is pretty serious for for the vipoc which is you know black indigenous people of color because they are we are disproportionately Disproportionately affected by this virus. Um, you know, Black folks are like two to three times more likely to die from the virus than the general population. And why? Because, and not just Blacks, but just people of color in general, um, because we suffer a higher incidence of obesity, hypertension, diabetes, lung disease, and other disorders that result in decreased immunity. And so that leaves us more susceptible to contracting the virus and then with graver results. The most severe cases are those with pre-existing lung disease because if this is a community of people who have asthma or smoke or whatever, then that is, that's that's going to worsen the situation. And uh, like I said, these stats do change um, regularly, but in more than 42 states, Latin Latinx uh, folks make up the majority of the confirmed cases. So it can be up to four times greater than the rest of the population. And um, a lot of people did would not seek care for fear of contracting the virus, and so if they had symptoms like chest pain or headaches, severe headaches, um, symptoms of of a stroke or a heart attack, they wouldn't go in, and so there was an increased incidence of death with those kinds of situations because. Folks were afraid, and so they didn't go. You know, in the beginning, there were there was drive-through testing, and a lot of people who were in highest need didn't even have a car, so you can't go to the drive-through testing. The right. <laughs> bus everywhere, so how? You know, what are you supposed to do? And then you would be a person who would need to have the testing done. And in pregnancy, the immune system is typically compromised, and that results in increased risk of contracting the virus. And I talked about that you know, earlier. And so add, you know, the fact that you're pregnant, even if you're well, you're at increased risk. And if you're not well, if you have any of those other issues that I mentioned, if you are overweight, if you have some diabetes or some high blood pressure, then you're going to be worse off. And, you know, the early data that was collected didn't even include race or ethnicity. We were kind of slow out of the gate, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, catching on to what we needed to do. I think we're we're trying to do a better job, but um, we were so slow out of it that it, this thing got in front of us and we we couldn't we couldn't uh, control it. So now we'll see where this goes. I mean, a, you know a, a vaccines being worked on that takes time people ha- it has to be tested you can't just create a vaccine and then tomorrow we're going to pass it out that's that well i tell you i, I wouldn't be the one first in line for that it, it needs to be tested and so forth so it's it's very interesting um the other thing you know people must consider is that many people of color or latinx are essential workers or work in factories or settings that provide that produce goods and services for the essential workers. And so these folks are working shoulder to shoulder, and then they return home to living conditions where they're like maybe overcrowded or multi-generations are living together. And they not, so maybe not, they may not have adequate health nutrition or they live in a food desert or, so they're like food insecure or inadequate health care if they're not, uh, let's say documented so they may not have insurance or what that kind of thing and so you take all of that and you mix it in a big pot and you had to add a heaping dose of the threat even of COVID-19 and nobody would want to swallow that they wouldn't want to swallow anything in that dish because that's just horrible um, and so in, in the case of pregnancy and GYN, you compound all that with less frequently scheduled appointments and fears about catching the virus. You have more risk of harm than you're and you're trying to do good. And let's not forget the indigenous population. They have many, if not all, of the same issues as blacks and other people of color. In some states, um, they make where there are like lots of reservations and that kind of thing. They make up nine percent of the population, but sixty percent of the confirmed cases. Um, because when you have it uh folks confined like that, that's what you're gonna get. And up until last week or so, those residing on reservations had not received any of the federal relief funds to help alleviate their situation. So people got those $1,200 checks, people on the reservations, and they are like the poorest people, had not even received the check. These are US citizens we're talking about. Yes. We walk on lands that belong to them first. And yes, yet, they are last in line to get the benefits that everyone else has already received and is doing a dance with, and so, or maybe not doing a dance. Maybe they're surviving. I've seen both sides in my own family, um, and so uh, it, it's just really not. It's just not fair. It brings up more of the unfairness and the injustices, um, you know, with regard to, and that's how we wind up with these disparities. And so people to say that there isn't an issue with, um, you know, we're not doing our due diligence if we say, well, I don't see any racism because I think that everyone is treated fairly and we, everyone has an opportunity to do this, that, and the third thing. And well, yes and no, because many of the, the folks that are privileged have a head start on doing all that stuff. You know, if you can't pay your rent and so you get some help with a, with a, Oh, what is that check called uh, the federal benefit I don't I forget what it's called mm-hmm. I, I didn't get one but anyways <laughs> uh, then and then these other folks are in the same situation and they are still waiting for theirs like right. that what's wrong with that picture they, everything everything's wrong with that picture and so um, that's something that I'm just asking. For the rest of the citizens to just take a look at and no, it's not your fault, but just acknowledge your position and speak to your position and the unfairness of it all and how, you know, it needs to change. It has to change. And, you know, we can't look to the leadership that we have currently because uh, they're just kind of uh, promoting d- the disparity and the unfairness and the inequality. We just can't. Can't, can't go that way um but anyhow we still have a we let's let's talk about oh speaking of let's talk about the lgbtqia community
0: yeah absolutely so i just also want to say yeah what leadership question mark wtf uh um, and also this is the thing that really pisses me off about people who are like Anti mask or like COVID's a hoax or whatever. All you're basically saying is, like, is that you, because you have not been affected, because probably, spoiler alert, you are privileged, um, you don't believe in it. And you're basically saying that the people who have died and the people who are sacrificing every day um, don't matter. And that's what all of this comes down to is when you are a denier when you are like well things aren't that bad or we all have the same access x y and z like you just you're saying that no one else matters it's selfish it's messed up stop
1: it that's
0: my (laughs) those people aren't listening to this
1: podcast but but, someone else is and they'll share they'll share the news
0: yeah Okay, so yeah, so definitely, I wanted to talk a little bit about, again, the COVID impact on the LGBTQIA community. So, again, Just as PR was talking about, many people in this community are in lower socioeconomic jobs, are having, you know, pre-existing health conditions. We've talked before about how many um, lesbian uh, and bisexual and gender nonconforming women, people with uteruses um, tend to be more overweight, tend to be more smokers, tend to be at, you know, higher risk of, uh, you know, contracting different disorders that could make them be sick and make them be predisposed to be sicker if they contract covid Um, you know we know that they are more likely to live in poverty Um, we know that their lack of access to adequate medical care is less that they're less likely to work in jobs where they're going to have paid medical leave um, and they may not have access to basic necessities right during this pandemic and so the things that we all you know, I was lucky enough that I could scramble around and go to Costco and buy, you know, a couple things of Clorox wipes and a couple things of whatever, whatever I needed, whatever my family needed. Some people don't have the access to that. And, and, and many of the LGBTQIA population do not. They fall under that category. And so they are going to be at a higher risk. Um, additionally, they may just like you know, the BIPOC population have a fear or discomfort in seeking care. You know, they have been historically, uh, marginalized. They've been mistreated. They've been experimented on, they've been treated as, you know, a sideshow. And so they may have mistrust in the medical community. And so should they have these you know symptoms, should they be feeling unwell, they may be, uh, not, you know, jumping the gun to go to go get checked out and to go get mm-hmm. seen. Um, you know, many of these people may be in unsafe home situations. So I think a lot of these um, young queer kids that are maybe you know their colleges got shut down or or they're in high school or whatever and they don't have that protection of their community of their chosen family that they're typically able to be you know involved with and so now here they are maybe in an unsafe home situation or maybe it's not physically unsafe but maybe it's a place that is non-confirming to them that you know they uh, are constantly being called she and her and roxanne when you know they go by they and their name is ryan you know and and, and that is detrimental. That is life or death. We know that that is going to increase this child or this person's risk of suicide or self-harm, um, you know, behaviors that are not good for your health, like drinking and drugs and alcohol. And um, that is an, a disproportionate stress that's placed on on mm-hmm. these people. And it's, it's sad. Um, you know, they also... At the bottom line, at the end of the day, June, is pride month. Um, and I spoke to this a little bit personally in that June and pride month has always been a really big deal for me. It's always been something that, that meant something it's, it's the anniversary of the stonewall riots, which, you know, if people aren't aware of it, give it a quick Google search. That's where pride comes from. We think of pride and we think of rainbows and we think of parades and we think of parties and we think of celebration, but it's a celebration of the liberation of these oppressed people. And, um, and that was totally put on hold, you know, and, and it was very much uh, something that is important that people look forward to that, that they don't have. It's a sense of community. It's a part of who they are. And, you know, it's not necessarily impacting their health in a real way, but it's already a stressful situation. So if that's something that you look forward to, that brings you mental wellness, you know, we talk all the time about self-care and for many people that celebration of who they are and that time that's just for them mm-hmm. is, is gone. And that can be really, really kind of hard. Um, so yes, in many ways, this is disproportionately affecting this population as well. And uh, it, it's yeah, it stinks. It sucks. I'm I'm done with COVID. I wish I could be done with it. I wish I could just wake up and pour some bleach on it and it's like hooray, it's gone. As we know that's not the case. Don't um
1: drink it. Don't drink yeah. it. <laughs> or
0: inject it into your veins, okay?
1: Yeah. Um
0: yeah. So anyway, all right. So so what so what do we know?
1: Well, how we is more we don't know, but we know the recommendations to try to. I mean, we listen to Fa, Dr. Fauci, and mm-hmm. you know, basically the the recommendations. They're not asking for an arm. They're not asking for a limb off your body. Is you know the recommendations and the treatments and the number of infected folks changes daily. In this corner of the of the country, we seem to be doing pretty well because we are slow to return to the way it used to be, and that seems to be prot- protective. But in other parts of the country, it's really uh, it's unfortunate. And so, you know, the experts are working hard to understand the virus and find the vaccine, as I said before, and the best treatments. And they've tried different things. And, you know, it's called practicing medicine. It's not like uh, you you discover new things as time goes by. And this is right. something that's new to us. And so it's, it's not like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Well, it, in a sense, you're right. No one really knows. We're learning as we go along and you try to do the best you can. But what you can do, we know what you can do. Is Wash those hands.
0: (laughs) Okay. So who thinks
1: that PR had like a
0: secret? So I, I have this like feeling that she had this like secret knowledge. Like she opened her third eye because she's so into washing your hands. Right. And then now everywhere you see, it just says like, wash your damn hands, like wash your hands. And she has been saying that you guys know that she was, we should have trademarked that. And then we could use all that money to like help all these people because you have been on Hand washing
1: from the very beginning. I love beginning, you. From last year when there was no COVID 19. That's right. Um, in 2019, from 2018, I was telling everyone, por favor, que lavate la mano, si me hace favor. But, anyways, wash your hands for mm-hmm. for goodness sake. Anyways, try to be on the same page with washing your hands, with distancing, with social distancing distancing Mm -hmm. and and, uh, covering your your face with a mask and not just your mouth cover your nose for crying out loud your whole face not not you know you have to cover your eyes but yeah cover your face prevention you know that's what you really want to do and then wipe down surfaces you know take your shoes off when you come into your home um those are just simple tasks i never wore my shoes in my home anyway because the outside is filthy and i don't want to bring that into my home but um it's a good idea and and then wipe down surfaces you know as frequently as you're comfortable with but yet try and get that stuff out of, keep it out of your home because uh, you don't want to get sick and you want to protect your family and and you want to be kind and protect other people too that you have contact with
0: yes the the biggest piece about this is that we have to worry about other people we have to the only way that we're going to like get through this is by being compassionate and empathetic and realizing that it's not about just you. It's not just you, right? Like we always say that it's not just you. You have to be on the same page we have to be working together we have to all be following you know social distancing we have to be putting restrictions into place we need to ask our government for some fucking enforcement okay don't have those beaches open don't have these beach parties and pool parties where these drunk turds with no masks on are coughing in each other's throats like i'm sick of it i'm done do your part
1: yeah and it's not like i said it's no one's asking you for a limb just try people say i'm not going to get sick well you know what you you maybe you're not sick but you could carry it to your granny or your you know everyone you say we're in this together well we really need to be in it together everyone affected is someone's mom dad sister brother granny grandpa auntie whatever and so it's it's so it's not yours but it could be someone else's or it could be yours you're not sick, but then you take it to them, and they get sick, and sometimes they die. So, you right. know, I, I, my request is be considerate. If you consider yourself in any way a considerate person, then, or a kind person, or a considerate person, if you consider, if you're a person that just doesn't give a shit, well, then that is what it is. But um, if you, if you do in any way, shape, or form can, care about your own family, even right and. Do the deeds, wear the masks, distance yourself, consider your neighbor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So my takeaway is really going to be, yes, all of those things too, please. But additionally, you need to take care of you as well. So as Mm -hmm. we always say, self-care is so important. Make sure you're checking in with yourself and checking in with your loved ones frequently. Find your joy, meditate be kind. Life is short. We know that tomorrow is not definitely going to happen. You know, it's not guaranteed. So we need to take this moment to be kind to ourselves, to care for ourselves, to care for each other. I mean, there's not enough time to be a stinker. So just like send out some love, be good, be good to yourself. And, uh, and that's, that's it.
1: Well, I think that that's a plenty. We've been yeah. grabbing right. a while here. Yeah, Back so <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I we, we'd like to thank uh, Bob, ba- the Tree Studios, our friends, family, all of you who really make this podcast possible. And, and actually are, you are really the motivation for us doing the podcast. So um, we thank you.
0: Yes. And for all the people who have messaged us to during the pandemic have sent, um, you know, emails and messages, we've been reading them. We love them. We are going to address you guys. We're going to get back to Minnesota. Now that we figured out that we can record from home, we're, we're going to get back on it because we want to be there for you. If you want, if, As long as you want us, we'll be here because we love doing this. Um, please be sure to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen. Like us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram at The Midwife Crisis Podcast. Podcast and email us at midwifecrisispodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, regulators, mask up. Mask
1: up. Y lávate las manos. No te voy a decir de nuevo. Wash your hands. I'm not telling you again. Wash your filthy hands. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Adios. Hmm, 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 hmm,